This is Contact Mike. Hello. Hello. Nice to see you. Nice to see you, Doe. It's November. It's November. It's a podcast about the things that make us human. Moments of change, indecision, and, well, well, contact. Contact. Contact Mike is a monthly podcast by Sarah Walker. Oh, a jar of moles. And Flo Kilpatrick. How do I edit this fucking slab of goodness? <laughs> you have to do that. Sucks to be you. It's produced by Kieran Ruffles. Actualizing our self-actualization? No. And it's going to start. It's going to start now. now. Chapter one. This month in your world, Sabah Abu Ghanim quit surfing. Since she was five, Sabah has surfed the waves of the Mediterranean, those that crash up against the Gaza Strip, but this month her parents have arranged for her to be married and they say that her future is up to her husband. Sabah says, I wish I could go back to being a child. That's when I felt most free, surfing. This month, Sabah married and moved into her in-law's house. It's inland, and for the first time in her life, she can no longer hear the ocean. This month, an orphaned Sumatran orangutan was released into a wildlife sanctuary. She peered up at the trees, bigger than she had ever seen, and knew exactly what to do with them. This month in your world, in Kuwait, in fact, an auntie brought her niece a banned book, sliding money into a stranger's hand under a table. The book says that once a month a woman bleeds and that this is completely natural. Elsewhere, a small boy with curly hair carried his potty into the living room to proudly show its contents to every member of his extended family who were all suitably impressed. And a young woman filled her backpack with clothes and fled Honduras after she was threatened with death if she didn't date a gang member. She packed three t-shirts, three pairs of knickers, jeans, a bra and socks. Pink ones. Chapter 2 When he asked me, I kind of like I was like, yeah, because you can't you can't talk to anyone about this. Like, this you can talk to a fucking psychologist, but they don't know. So it's kind of therapeutic. This is Alex. Just Alex. So one night, Alex is in a pub and she meets a man. And he literally picked up my chair. I was talking to my best friend, and he like picked up my chair and was like, "I want to talk to you," literally. <laughs> and I was all like, uh, "Excuse me." <laughs> And he was persistent. How did that work? Like, how, why, why would that, I don't understand how that would work. I know, yeah. At the time, he's, he's really smiley and lovely and yeah, stuff. Yeah. So when, when, you, when you tell people, like, he picked up the chair, like, he had, he had some skills. Yeah. <laughs> he, he had some game. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and he told me right then that he had kids. So I knew right from the beginning. Alex had been single for about five years at this point. I dated a lot of shit men. <laughs> Like a lot. Like pretty much all of them are pretty shit. And it sounds really stupid, but I think a lot of men, they all say that they like a woman that is career focused. And I don't think that's necessarily true. 
like you you date people for a little while and then all of a sudden you'd be out at dinner and they'd be like you're really like it sounds really stupid when you say it out loud but they're like you're you're intimidating that's the word that they used quite a lot you're very intimidating and i'd be like okay and then i'd be like why and they'd be like oh you're smart and i'd be like well i'm actually not that smart at all which then you look back at them and you're like Oh, how fucking dumb are you? <laughs> and how dumb am I to be dating you kind of thing? But it's always the word intimidating. Yeah. Yeah. Did you want to be a parent growing up? I honestly never thought about it. I think the only thing that really made me want to be a parent is a lot of people used to joke about what a bad parent I would be. <laughs> Why was that? Because I always was, I was very rebellious I used to do a lot of things alone. I always went against the grain. I got suspended like eight fucking times, which was really hard for my parents. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so people would just make these little offhand comments where they'd just be like, oh, like I can imagine you when you're old and you're like, you'd never be a parent. You're going to be like someone that's just going to be like living in the bush alone, like doing these crazy things. And I'd be like, like in, inside you'd be like, oh, I think I'd be quite a good parent. Thank you very much. Still, Alex wasn't planning on becoming a parent too soon. The rule was that when we started dating, I was like, I don't want to meet them for the first six months because I want to make sure that we're good. But where kids are involved, things don't always go to plan. And then there was a crisis one day where, so their mum's transitioning back into work and he had to go to work and it was suddenly like, Jesus, what are we going to do with the kids? So I was like, I'll, I'll take them for the day. So was that the first time that you'd met them? First time I'd met them, first time I'd met the partner, first time I'd ever looked after kids. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I'm the baby of, like, the entire extended family. So my interaction with kids is not great. (laughs) (laughs) So we're, like, standing on the front lawn and, like, the mom's really nervous. My partner's really nervous. We're all just kind of like, this is the weirdest kind of thing ever. And she was really in a rush and she just literally kind of did a, like, hi, and I was like, hey, whoa. And then, like, we literally got handed these two kids and they were a little bit confused as well. But I think their dad had been telling to them a lot. So they were a little bit excited. And the little girl, like, she was like, oh, I'm meeting a lady. <laughs> <laughs> so, and then he went to work and it was literally, yeah, no, it was just fine. Like, we just hung out. We went to the park. They had lots of questions. But it was more about they were just wanting to know what their dad had said about them. <laughs> so the kids became part of her life and she became part of theirs. They're really good kids. They're really lovely. They're really loving. Yeah. I think also because they've had to swap houses a lot, they actually have a, a much closer relationship than I would say, you know, normal siblings have because they've been each other's coping mechanism. Which is actually really good because when you're looking after them, if one of them's upset or doesn't want to say something, the other one will quite often be like, oh, she's upset because you said this and she took it this way. Or or like, you know, you didn't pick the blue pair of socks, so she's very upset, but (laughs) but can't talk to you right now (laughs) kind of thing. So they actually worked together to help me, Yeah, I think, as well. As someone who hadn't really been around kids very much, what was the biggest surprise to you about life with kids? How annoying they are. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because it's just, 
there's no off. Like, you know, kids just and like it's like that's the beautiful thing about them as well is like they don't they don't get embarrassed, but if they're very full on. So we kind of had to set some boundaries. Stuff like coming into the bathroom. <laughs> like we had to um instigate private time. Yeah. Which is like now that gets used against me all the time though, because I'll come into the room and they'll be like, This is private time and I'll be like, <laughs> Okay, all right. Um that and like just yeah, like kids don't really get like they want to be around you all the time and in your face all the time. And <laughs> as a person that doesn't have that genetic connection, you kind of get to a point where you're like, I'm done. Like I can't do this. And rather than blowing up, you have to find like a a way to to entertain them or to to give them love and then get them away from you without them thinking that you're rejecting them. <laughs> Figuring out your place inside an already existing family is a constant series of negotiations. Just when things start to feel resolved, you turn a corner and see more surprises. I think when they transition from like four to five, roughly, they go from being a little person to suddenly like becoming like even an adult, like their personality is forming. Um, They start to have real feelings as well like like shame embarrassment that age is when there's lots of questions about why is our family different and who are you and why are you here and when is mummy moving back in those kind of things and that's hard but you know it's not malicious it's just them just like trying to figure it out I think but also the like the really good positive thing of that is like the girl at the moment she's going through a I don't want you phase where it's like she'll be playing on the floor having a good time and then all of a sudden she'll turn around to you and say I don't want you here and you're like oh my god that's horrible and um a week after that happened her mum called me and she said uh I just want you to know um she said the same thing to me and her brother told me that and we do want you here I did have a lot of females come out and tell me their stories, which usually ended with stories of them, like, chucking eggs down a driveway or something like that. (laughs) Them being the women or the children? The women. Because the stress, it's not like like a normal fight in a relationship. It's quite often just with kids involved, it can be really stressful uh, because you can't control it. It doesn't make any sense. It's not a legitimate, like, let's all sit down and talk about this normally. And so a lot of them ended their relationships because they couldn't handle the stress of it. Like, there's actually this perception of society that because you knew that he had children, that you should just accept it. It's very easy to feel, like, to to play the victim as well. You know, that I didn't do this. I'm not the one that got someone else pregnant. Like, Like, I'm not the one in this situation. Like, I don't have to be here. And it's very easy to think that way. And I think that's probably what breaks a lot of these things in the first place. I'm kind of lucky that I've got a partner that he, like, he knows. He can see it when I'm starting to close up and do the, like, I'm done. And, um, you know, he'll throw something at me, like a piece of popcorn or something. and be like, come on, babe, come back out. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But that's definitely, like, the alienation because you're in, you're in someone else's family and you can never 
you can't compete with blood. You can't. Um, you know, like you hear about people that have been adopted or whatever and they talk about this tie and it's it's absolutely there. I remember my partner used to talk about it and I always used to be like, oh, no, but it's it's not there. But it is. It's so there. And you can't fight with it. You kind of just have to accept it and and acknowledge it and move on. There are moments when she feels this acutely, that she is the outsider entrusted with the care of someone else's child. We lost the girl once. That was bad. That what was happened? really bad. We left her at the back door of the house and it's like, you know, one of those like um, lanes and we were like, don't move anywhere. We're just running around the front to open up. And it was like 30 seconds where we'd like run around and she had gone around the opposite. She just walked around the opposite. And then like kind of rather than turning right where she normally does, she's like, oh, I'm going to see what's down there. So... It's, it's amazing how quickly they can disappear. And so we're like in the middle of Carlton on a busy road and she's just gone. And like I remember like running around the streets and like it took us like five minutes to find her. Yeah. And me and my partner were just running around the streets, just screaming her name. And there was a lady that found her. And brought her back. And I was bawling my eyes out. And she was like, it's okay. I've lost my little girl too. And all I said, but she's not mine. (laughs) She's not even mine to lose. Like, and that was pretty intense. I find that amazing that for so much of the time you've been talking about, you know, these kids as yours. And then as soon as something happens where they're in danger, it's suddenly... I've lost someone else's kid, like that responsibility (laughs) suddenly comes in in such a big way. Alex's boyfriend knew he was onto a good thing from the start. Like after about two weeks, he came back and he was like, anyway, so I picked the kids up the other weekend and I told their mum that I'm seeing you. Yeah. And that we're going to get married. And I was like, okay. (laughs) Holy shit. (laughs) After two weeks. Yeah. He's very much like that. He's very much like that. This year, he proposed. So now they have all the excitement and stress of an upcoming wedding. A lot of people say, you know, oh, like our family never fights or whatever. And that's fine. But I'm like, I'm a conflict oriented person. <laughs> like, I don't like, I don't like pretending. Yeah. I also don't like, you know, screaming matches or anything. But it's like, if there's a problem, you identify it and you deal with it. So there's lots of stresses going on. And we were in the middle of a park and I don't know how it happened within like 20 seconds. We were screaming at each other and it was like, it was over the most simple thing. And I'm suddenly like screaming at him and throwing a ring at him and being like, bugger this. Like I'm done. I don't want to be in this and walking off. And like, he immediately like ran after me and was like, hug, like calm down. What the fuck just happened? Um, and we were like, yeah, okay. Yeah. That was intense. We obviously need to put some care in here. And later on in the kitchen, I had the kids and I was like, look, Dad and I had a pretty big fight before and we're sorry that you had to see it. Like sometimes adults fight, um, but you saw us made up as well. Like everything's good. And the little girl just looks at me and she goes, if you throw the ring away again, mommy gets it. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like... 
okay fair call <laughs> like don't throw the ring away again <laughs> that's amazing yeah so how did you think of yourself before coming into this family uh i was a hiker and a traveler definitely yeah i loved i was really going on a lot of solo missions which is quite that was probably the biggest problem is that i was going out and spending like three days alone Mm. in the bush and found that really invigorating like doing something that's really physically hard plus mentally tough Mm. and I think that was also like a um to deal with I guess being alone as well yeah it's like well I will be alone then and go through it and then so then I went from that to suddenly being around someone all the time what do you do now to find that alone time that's so special to you? It's got to be allotted. It's got to be decided. Yeah. Um, my partner, like, he doesn't need any time alone. He's, yeah. he's one of those people. And it's taken him a little while to get used to it. But I've, I've figured out now if I tell him very much in advance, like, in three months' time, I am going somewhere for three days. And, yeah. Is that alone time on those hikes different? Yeah, it's not as enjoyable. Huh. Mm. Because when you're really alone, like you've got family and stuff, but when you don't have a partner or anything like that, you kind of can just be in the moment and you can be alone and you can very much enjoy it. But I think there's some kind of guilt now yeah. where you miss them. You you think maybe they're missing you, maybe they're not. <laughs> um, but you're thinking about them and what you're going to be doing next week. And So I don't think it is. Like you actually have to make a committed effort to not think about those things do you think of yourself as a parent i don't like the word stepmom yeah because every time you watch a disney movie yeah, yeah. the evil it's stepmother like, yeah and like the kids will say sometimes where they're like like we watched snow white and they were like that lady's a bitch yeah and then they're like looking at you and you can like yeah, they get confused cogs. so sometimes they're like sometimes they try it out and they're like oh you're our stepmom and i'm like yeah no i'm just i'm alex that's cool I got a text message the other week from a friend and it said, uh, what is the bravest thing you've ever done for love? And I didn't have a very good answer to that. I know a lot of people who've, you know, moved overseas for partners or gone into relationships they knew had serious complexities. And and my answer at the time was kind of like, well, recently the bravest thing I've done is just been to just say yes and and let someone date me. What's the bravest thing you guys have done for love? I don't know. I feel like just every time I'm like, hey, want to make out with me is really brave. (laughs) Even when you're dating someone? (laughs) Every time. Every every time. (laughs) It's a horrible moment of suspense. Like, oh, no, maybe you don't. Oh, that's fine. When Kieran and I got together, that was one of the most frightening sort of moments because I'd been into him for a while. I drove him home from the malt house to Carlton. Like, that's the most full-on Melbourne-style flirting you can possibly do if you live in Paran. And just <laughs> he got out of the car and was like, thanks, and went into his house. And then one night we were at an opening and Kieran said, what are you thinking about? And in that moment I decided to let my brave self speak. My brave self said, I was thinking we should probably stop hanging out like this or we could just make out. I think Kieran made a very, like, you know, Kieran noise. Mm. Yeah, one of those. (laughs) And 
that just lingered in the air for us and then we walked outside into the rain and were brave i also feel like that's kind of a it's kind of a weird thing to say it's like either make out with me or i'm going to stop hanging out with you (laughs) emotional (laughs) blackmail you know it's like maybe hang out a little bit less for my poor hurting heart are you sure we can't keep hanging out because that's going okay now we hear the other side of the story which is just (laughs) you blackmailed me into this relationship great but i think that often some of the bravest things that one can do for lover are ending relationships that aren't going well yeah and that's both for love of that person, but also for love of you and mm-hmm. for and for the possibility that love can be better mm-hmm. than it is. Yeah. And I remember trying to end a relationship for months where I literally could not get those words out. Mm-hmm. I would sit down on the couch next to him and be like, just make those words leave my throat. Mm-hmm. And they wouldn't. It took so long and I just was so badly wishing to be braver in that moment. Fear of the unknown is a hell of a thing and that strange state of stasis you end up in where you look at the person you're like oh you're still there (laughs) and I just I mean you're looking at me the same way that I'm looking at you but no one says anything I feel like I remember quite clearly what it's like to be a single man at a live music event the sort of thing I go to all the time just like remembering what it's like to be in that space as a partnered man even if you're even if the person that you're with is not there mm. you you're, you're sort of let off the hook from this incredible anxiety and and also like massive plural possibility mm. of like every person that walks through the door it's like are you the one could is it, is it you is it you that was always my touchstone of like being in a relationship things aren't going great but like i could always go well at least i'm grateful to not be in that cycle at least I get a bypass or a pressure release of that thing. And then you can actually talk to people and talk to attractive people without having this immense pressure on you the whole time. That's interesting. I, there's this quite lovely quote that I read at some point that said, the first important moment in a relationship isn't the moment when you first kiss them or when you first tell each other that you care for each other. It's that moment of looking at each other and thinking, perhaps them. And I always thought that was really kind of like precious and, and delicate that moment. And I feel like for you, Kira, it's just like, is it you, 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 is it you? <laughs> yeah, look, I mean, I've, I've talked to guys about this and like just being just being spared that that desperation mm. is, is a huge thing. Every time you meet a new person, mm. you're like, are you the one that's going to get me out of this? Are you the one that's going to help me stop this horrible feeling? Mm. <laughs> Which is not really how you want to approach a relationship, yeah. per se. <laughs> but um, it's a thing. You can get along with almost anyone. Like, almost anyone you could be. You could be fine, sort of, sort of placidly all right with. And it's really surprisingly rare to find someone who you look at and go... <gasps> Oh, it's you. Oh, you're in my house. <laughs> That's yeah. so... And to have that person look back at you with, with that same feeling is really very rare. It's very special. Mm. Yeah. A friend of mine um, is now married to a woman who has two kids. And he had to figure out his role as a disciplinarian in that space. And there was a day where the, the eldest daughter came home and what they'd done is, like, drawn, like, self-harm scars on their arms because they thought that would make them look really cool and edgy. And he was like, I just didn't know what to say. Like, I didn't know how to convey with sufficient gravity how not all right that was. 
Like, I just didn't know where to even start that conversation. And I didn't know what to do. I didn't know whether to be like, you're grounded, that's bad. Or whether to sit down and be like, okay, we need to have a chat for about an hour about mental health and how that's a real thing and will probably affect a lot of people you care about. Yeah, that kind of space of being like, I don't know what my job is here. I don't know how much I'm allowed to do. When I was a child, um, at about four, I realized that death was a thing and I had to sleep in my parents' bed for about a year because my mum would go to tuck me in and I'd be like, I'm going to, am I going to die? I'm going to die. And mum would be like, prob's not like tonight. I had panic attacks every night as a child. I got very obsessed with the sun as a child because my older sister was like, so obviously the sun's going to expand one day and we'll all burn to death. But like, <laughs> but it's fine. Like it's going to happen and people deserve it because we've done really bad things to the environment. But I'm just really sad for all the animals and the whales and the dolphins and the dogs and cats. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, this is the worst. I went through this very complex kid logic where I went, the grown-ups of the world will know when the world is about to end. Scientists will be keeping an eye on that shit. But also, I believed that parents couldn't tell lies <laughs> if you asked them a direct question. So every single night, I would come out to my parents and with this like desperate pleading look, go, Good night, see you in the morning. And they'd be like, Yes, Fleur, see you in the morning. I'd be like, Sweet. <laughs> Not going to die tonight because they said they would see me in the morning. Were there times where they just didn't say that? I would stand there and be like, See you in the morning, see you in the morning, until they would say, See you in the morning. <laughs> I finally wrote a story about this and my mum was like, that's what that was about. Just like your little desperate face peering around the door. Just see you in the morning. (laughs) We finally knew it was about the fucking sun. What scares you most about the prospect of becoming a parent? Oh, it's everything. All of it? yeah. Yeah. Okay. You know how part of being alive is that there's kind of you there are points in your life where you're like nah this fuck this i don't want to be alive today i'd just rather not and sometimes that lasts for maybe three seconds and sometimes it lasts for a very long time and i just the idea of my child suddenly realizing that the world is not a very good place and having a day where they're so miserable where they turn to me and be like i wish i was dead that idea just mm. like destroys me. I just I don't think I could I don't think I can do it. I just uh yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. I like that one. <laughs> I I have a set of strategies for keeping at bay the idea that potentially there is no meaning in the world but what we make mm-hmm. and that um, you know that we're all going to die and all that stuff. And um, having to watch someone come into that awareness mm. and not being able to bring them out of it or, or find find a way out of that maze for them and you know and yeah like if they don't find their way out of that maze people sort of go oh i just want a happy healthy baby and it's like can i just order a happy healthy adult yeah um, <laughs> that would be great yeah and just um just make sure that happens what about you one thing that i get quite scared of is i'm quite frightened of the idea of separating from your partner when you have a when you have a child. Mm. Some people I know are terrified of the idea of divorce because they have been through it, mm. and I'm terrified of it because I'm like I have no model for what parenting mm. separated looks like. Mm. 
And then you talk to someone like Alex and you're like, oh, they're just making it work. But just the yeah. idea that whoever you have a child with, you then are negotiating with for your entire life. You're negotiating around what cities you live in together about how you do this, about this grief of like, okay, that child is leaving my house now. I'm very frightened of that idea. Mm. And particularly as someone now just in their 30s. I wish I could be more relaxed about that idea mm. and not sort of be looking at my partner being like, is it you? Is it you? Will we, will we be good for like 30 years? <laughs> or like, should we just like... Like, it's a really yeah. big pressure to put on a relationship is that yeah. level of concern yeah. about yeah, totally. that. And that's... I wish I could just take a few deep breaths about that one. Yeah. Well, it's like Louis C.K. talks about how being a divorced parent is actually the best because... You get to be an amazing parent for half a week and then you get to do your own life and be a complete slob and sit around in your underwear and eat chips. You get a little little break from having to be on all the time, which I, and I think there's a lot to be said for that. Mm. Yeah, I saw that piece. I loved it. It's like, bye-bye, baby. Daddy's going to be bathed in scotch for the next 72 hours. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I similarly have a, um, a friend who I think his experience of parenting actually got easier mm. um, post-separation possibly not the experience of parenting but the balancing of his career and his life mm. with his parenting got appreciably better at least from how it looked from outside mm. Um, mm. based on the fact that he had definite demarcated time to himself again this is our second to last episode for the year if you've enjoyed the podcast and want to hear more from us in 2017 have a chat let us know what you want more of, stories you think might interest us, and which one of us has the sexiest voice. You can find us on social media or leave us a review on iTunes. This has been Contact Mike. This episode ends. This episode ends. Now. Good work, everybody. Let's go eat toast. <laughs>